0: Why renter's insurance? Because pipes. State Farm renter's insurance covers stuff landlords don't, like furniture that gets drenched by a broken pipe. Find an agent or get a quote at statefarm.com.
1: Hello and welcome to a new year and a new episode of Insight. I am Ali, of course, and here with me, as always, is Charlie. Happy 2017.
0: Yeah, happy New Year to you. I always do a big New Year's Eve party every year. I mean, really big. My house is completely full of people and we've got karaoke set up, but not like a little machine. I mean, we have the mixer and the big speakers. That's funny. And so, yeah, 2017, we always started it off really well.
1: And I'm in bed before midnight.
0: You're invited to my party, officially invited.
1: Sure. Tonight, we will be talking about a multiple disappearance. 21-year-old Anne Miller and her two friends, Renee Brule and Patricia Blau, who were both 19 years old. They disappeared from the Indiana Dunes State Park in Indiana on July 2nd, 1966. And this is a listener suggestion by Vera. And the lovely Vera is the admin for the podcast we listen to Facebook group. So if you're not a member, go over and join. You'll get a lot of recommendations and you can just talk all things podcast. So on to the story. On the morning of July 2nd, 1966, it was the 4th of July weekend holiday and Anne drove her four-door Buick and picked up Patricia, or Paddy as her friends called her. Anne picked up Paddy from her parents' home in Westchester, Illinois at around 8am. Paddy told her mother that they planned to return home early in the evening because their friend Renee was coming with them. And Renee was married to her childhood sweetheart, Jeff and she wanted to be back in time to make dinner for him. So Anne and Patty picked up Renee from her home in West Fulton on Chicago's west side, and on the way to the beach, they stop at a drugstore to pick up some suntan lotion. The women arrived at Indiana June State Park at around 10 o'clock Anne parks in the parking lot and the women hiked to a spot that was about a 100 yards or almost a kilometre from the Lake Michigan shoreline. It was a hot day and being it was a long weekend, the beach was pretty busy with around 9,000 people there. A couple, Michael Lankyasa and Frances Cicero, they were sitting next to the women and they reported seeing the three of them leave their belongings on the beach at around midday and they went for a swim together. Renee leased behind a large beach towel, her shorts, blouse, cigarettes, suntan lotion, 25 cents in change and her purse. And her purse contains about $55 in cheques. The other women also leave behind their clothing, purses and some personal items on the beach. And car keys are also left behind with her purse. Mike and Francis also see the women speaking to an unidentified man operating a 14 to 16 foot long white boat which had blue interior and an outboard motor sometime after that. Apparently the women got on the boat and the boat headed west with the women aboard. So when Mike and Francis were leaving the beach later that afternoon, they see the women's belongings still on the beach. They are feeling a bit worried and have a quick look around for the women, but they can't see anyone else there. They go and report what they see to a park ranger, Bud Connor, And it's around dusk by this point, so Bud goes and picks up the women's things and stores them in his office. He thinks that the women had gone out on the boat and would come back the following day to get their belongings.
0: 18 hours later, on July 4th, Park Superintendent Bill Svedek took a call from a Chicago man, Harold Blau, looking for his daughter, Patty, because she had not been heard from since leaving home with her friends. Svedek, tells Harold not to worry and that Patty would turn up and that she most likely was spending the long weekend partying with some boys somewhere. Harold didn't really think that was something Patty would do as she was normally responsible and wouldn't have just disappeared like that. The families go ahead and report Anne, Renee, and Patty all missing when they don't return by later that same day. The police alert the park rangers and they search the state park and they find Anne's Buick in the parking lot in the same space where she had parked it on the morning of her disappearance. When the park rangers can't find any sign of the women, they alert the U.S. Coast Guard. And the search started on July 5th, which is three days after the women went missing.
1: Which is crazy in my book because you have missed a vital time as we all know from watching crime shows the first 72 hours is crucial and that's that's all gone
0: oh it always kind of makes me rankle a little when they say oh i'm sure they'll turn up they probably just ran off for a little bit and they don't look i mean what does it hurt to look around you know it's they could have yeah. looked earlier Now, this area is massive. There's miles and miles of beach backed up to tall sand dunes and wooded areas. A listener who lives near this area said that at times, much of it can be nearly deserted, even at the beach in the middle of the day. And I imagine it was probably more so in the 1960s, making it the perfect setting for a case like this. The search for the women continued around the clock once they got around to starting it. Scuba divers scoured the lake and around 100 volunteers and trained searchers looked for the women on foot and on horseback going through the park and up and down the 45 mile long or about 72 kilometer coastline. But there was just no sign of the young women more witnesses came forward, basically backing up this original sighting that the couple on the beach had, the women getting in a white boat with an unidentified man. And these later accounts, these people were closer to the man, so they were able to describe him as someone in his early 20s, tanned complexion and dark wavy hair. He was wearing a life vest.
1: There was one person who was filming home movies at the state park on the day the women went missing, and he offered up these tapes to the investigators. So based on these tapes and the witnesses' descriptions, the search was narrowed down to two boats. One was a fiberglass 16 to 18 foot long trimaran runabout with a three-hull design whose driver looked like the man the witnesses described. Three females matching the description of Anne, Renee, and Paddy were seen aboard this boat at some stage during the day. The second boat was a larger one. It was a 26 to 28 foot Trojan cabin cruiser, and this had three men aboard it with three women. This cabin cruiser was seen on the footage at around 3 pm, and this was three hours after the other boat was spotted in the footage the one with the three women and one man. And what the investigators thought happened was that the women may have gone for a ride on the smaller boat with the single man. The man tells the women about his friends, so it could have been like a date situation, or maybe they were organizing a party on the larger boat. So the women were dropped back off on the beach where they waited for the man to go back and get the cabin cruiser and his two friends. And this scenario is partially backed up. At around 3pm, Anne, Renee and Paddy are reportedly seen eating and walking along the sand dunes. They were apparently approached by another man who fit a different description to the man that was seen on the smaller boat. And the women get on the cabin cruiser with this second unidentified man. Witnesses describe the cabin cruiser as being equipped with a radio or telephone antenna but there was no name printed on the boat's stern. This final sighting was never confirmed, but police consider it fairly reliable and fitting to what they believed happened. Now, these two boats were never located, and the unidentified men seen on the boats, they were never seen again. And the other witnesses who were at the park, they also came forward, but they had conflicting stories, But the investigators mainly went off the first witness reports because they believed that they were the most accurate. Now, on July 7, so we're at five days now since the women were last seen, searchers find a wreckage that was a boat washed up on shore about three miles from where the women were last seen. After a more thorough search, they found pieces of metal and styrofoam, which was believed to have come from three boat seats. The police had a theory that this was the boat that most likely hit some rocks and it broke up, but strangely, there were no records of any boats being reported missing. Search planes went out to look for more debris and clues of who owned the boat, but nothing was ever found. Police publicly announced they didn't believe this boat was related to Anne, Renee or Paddy's disappearances. I would assume this was based on the type of boat it was against the boats the witnesses apparently saw the women aboard.
0: It would be odd, though, for a boat to get broken up. Nobody claim their boat was missing or make an insurance claim or make some type of claim that would lead to who the who the boat belonged to. That seems odd to me.
1: I don't know anyone who owns a boat who would, if it was broken up, if it hit rocks and was smashed up. Just to say, oh well, and walk away and not row and and not worry about it.
0: Right, boats aren't cheap.
1: And the fact that they, I mean, shouldn't there have been some kind of serial number on there or name on there? That's a bit strange as well.
0: Right. Yeah, boats are supposed to have their um, registration number and their name. And I'm assuming it was the same then, but I I guess I don't actually know Indiana boating laws from this time period.
1: I guess we're assuming that that part of the boat was found.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. The search went on. Dogs were brought in, but I mean, after this long, we're almost at a week at a busy beach after a holiday weekend. I don't know how much of a scent they would have been able to pick up. And when they say dogs were brought in, I don't even know. I mean, did they bring in cadaver dogs? Are they talking about tracking trailing dogs? As I've recently learned a lot about types of search dogs it does make a difference which type of dog they brought in and I didn't see anything I'm assuming it was just a scent dog trying to find their scent.
1: What I read with the research when we did Wanda Beach beaches are really hard for dogs to pick up a scent because it's not like grass the sand moves around.
0: Right and especially sand dunes they blow around and change all the time
1: And especially these particular sand dunes, which we'll talk about a bit later.
0: About 250 privately owned cabins were searched in the beach area. One cabin in particular was searched specifically because a psychic told them to. So the psychic was brought into the case and claimed to have had a vision of a Lake Michigan cabin where the woman's bodies were buried. There was an extensive search of this property that most closely matched the place the psychic had described, but it didn't uncover any evidence. The investigators report that the constantly shifting sand dunes may have buried possible evidence under the ground. Also, if the psychic's vision had to do with the position of the sand dunes, they may have ended up at the wrong cabin because, you know, if her vision was legitimate, that It looked one way when she had the vision, but when they got there, things moved. And I mean, like we said, we'll talk about sand dunes a little bit more in a little bit. Do you want to go ahead and get into theories now, Allie?
1: Let's do it. And we'll do the usual suspects first before we get into the more media theories.
0: Right. So the first theory is drowning. I mean, they were at a lake and I mean, we're not talking a small lake. This is a large body of water. If you're standing on the beach, it looks like an ocean. You can't see the other side. But I think we can pretty quickly move through this one. Investigators early on did consider drowning, of course, but it was deemed unlikely due to there being so many sightings of them during the day and that many people seeing them at each point in the day. What are the odds that they would drown, all three of them, and not a single beachgoer would see them but even more so no bodies were found and while there are reasons why bodies are not found in bodies of water most are most come up to shore so what are the odds that all three of them drowned and none of their bodies were recovered that's i mean one of them maybe two of them but all three that doesn't make a lot of sense the odds are not in the favor
1: especially considering the women were apparently very strong swimmers. Paddy, for instance, was able to swim up to 30 miles just for fun. So I think this is one theory, as you said, we can just strike off the list. There was some speculation at the time that these women may have run off or run away on their own volition. After the initial search, investigators began looking into the backgrounds of the three women to try and work out if they could have disappeared voluntarily. But it was there that things got murkier and stranger. Something that may support that, for at least one of the women, in Renee's purse, investigators found a letter addressed to her husband, Jeff. The couple had been married for just 15 months in July 1966. But in the letter that she obviously hadn't sent yet, she asked Jeff for a divorce. She says in her letter that she felt Jeff spent too much time working on cars with his friends and he didn't have time for her, though Jeff tells the police that he wasn't aware of any problems in their marriage. Renee's family backs that up and they tell investigators that they believe Renee had written the note in a moment of anger and the reason she hadn't given it to Jeff was because that she changed her mind about the divorce.
0: Yeah, I think those venting letters, they happen sometimes, you know. Now, of course, we can email them and hit send before we really probably should. But writing, or post it to Facebook. You kind of vent those things, and then she probably thought better of it.
1: And look, I don't think they all ran off together. Mostly for the one reason, all of them left their purses on the beach or in the car which, as we know, was also left behind, and all their identification was there, as well as about $60 in cash, which would have been a decent chunk of change at the time.
0: And from what I understand, they were picked up in the boat from the water, like they were in the water. So they were in their bathing suits when they got on that boat. Unless they had some elaborate plan where they had other clothes stashed on the other side of the lake, and I mean, it would have been pretty elaborate
1: So the next theory kind of flows on from that. Another theory is that Anne and Paddy were both having affairs with married men that they met at a pub, and they both had gotten pregnant. And then we have Renee, who was already married and allegedly having marital problems. Anne's friends supported this theory because they told investigators that she told them she was three months pregnant at the time she went missing. Anne had told these friends she was going to move into a home for unwed mothers prior to her disappearance. Anne's possible pregnancy was never confirmed outside of these friends' reports. Now, abortion was illegal in Illinois in 1966, and some women in Chicago who were pregnant and didn't want to be, they went to a house just across the state border in Gary. And this is where a husband and wife team had Helen and Frank Largo, where they performed backroom abortions. The Largos were also suspected to perform abortions in a houseboat offshore in Lake Michigan. There is a theory that both Anne and Patty had arranged abortions on a boat the day they disappeared. One of the girls may have died during the procedure, and they killed the other two because they didn't want to leave any witnesses. But they left their purses on the beach. I mean, how did they pay for these abortions? I would imagine that this was the sort of thing that you would have to pay for upfront,
0: right. And the other th- okay, had they left all of their belongings in the car? maybe I could buy this. but they left it all right on the beach, purses, suntan lotion. and that doesn't make sense unless you were planning to return to the beach. and i I've had a natural miscarriage without any medical interventions. And I assure you, I was not planning on sitting on a beach anytime soon. I could barely, physically, I could, I pretty much stayed in bed for another day or two. I, you don't just walk out in your bathing suit and grab your yeah, stuff your and go. In your yeah. Right, and grab your stuff and go or walk along the shore like nothing happened. I, it just, this doesn't really make sense to me in at all, except for the coincidence that there happened to be an abortion doctor in the area.
1: All three women were horse enthusiasts. Anne and Patty met while boarding their horses at the same Illinois stable. Anne was also employed as a horse exerciser at the Oak Brook Polo Club at the time she vanished. And where this is important to their disappearance, Anne and Patty were associated with men who had criminal backgrounds in the horse market. So there is a theory that the ladies' disappearances were related to possible connections with criminal activity. Apparently Paddy was also having problems with horse syndicate people in the spring and summer of 1966. Paddy was also casually seeing a man named John Paul Jones who had criminal history. He was of course interviewed, but he denied any knowledge and and police cleared him of any suspicion. And that brings us to George and Silas Jane.
0: And, It's really interesting because when I read Horse Syndicate, I kind of laughed like, that sounds kind of funny. And then I looked into it and this is some serious criminal business.
1: It's not funny at all. It's
0: it's the opposite of funny. The stable where Anne, Renee, and Patty rode their horses was the Tri-Color Stables in Palantine, which I'm saying that wrong, I know, Illinois. The stables were owned by a prominent horse dealer named George Jane. George and his brother, Silas Jane, had a major falling out over horse stealing, not legal horse stealing, uh, during the mid-1960s. So Silas had a competing stable, and the brothers were so embittered that they wanted to kill each other, and that's not figurative. In June of 1965, George asked a young woman at the stable named Cheryl Ann Rood to move his Cadillac from the stable entrance, because there were workers coming in to paint. Cheryl was a 21-year-old champion equestrian. When she got in the car, she turned the ignition to the Cadillac, and the car exploded, killing Cheryl. A bit of a side note, Silas eventually did succeed in having his brother killed in 1970, and in 1999, the hitman who planted the car bomb that killed Cheryl was a uh, was tried and sentenced to 100 years, and the payment was supposedly $10,000. But the theory on this one is basically that one or more of the girls witnessed the bomb being planted, and they were killed to silence them. They were killed a year after this incident, and four months before their disappearance, Patty had an injury to her face, and she was reportedly, reportedly reluctant to explain it, one friend said she made a comment about it being related to the quote syndicate but i mean there's no proof of this aside from this one comment it could have been a joke or a brush off answer there's not any evidence that any of these women were themselves involved in any of this syndicate or any of these criminal things except that they rode horses at a stable owned by this man who was neck deep in shady dealings and had a brother who was in it even deeper the only thread of connection to the brother personally was that both of the phone numbers were found both of the brother's phone numbers were found among the belongings of one of the missing women though I couldn't find out where it said which one
1: no I couldn't find it either I mean based on the information for the story so far I would say Patty but we don't know.
0: Silas died in 1987, and after his death, he was suspected in connection of several other murders. In 1956, the Grimes sisters were kidnapped and killed after leaving a movie theater together. I will probably cover them in an upcoming episode, though I know plenty of you are probably pretty familiar with the case, or at least marginally familiar. And there is another—there is a suspect in that case— but some people see links to Silas Jane in this. And another case that is on the schedule coming up, I've pushed it from February to March and back again, so who knows? Sometime, I, I rearrange things all the time, sometime in the winter, spring, unless another podcast beats us to it, we'll cover the disappearance of Helen Brock, the heiress to the candy fortune. She disappeared in 1977 after a medical checkup. And one of the big theories of what happened to her had to do with the horse syndicate scams and specifically connected to Silas. What would happen is they would target wealthy, but not particularly savvy, older women brokering horse deals at inflated prices and then pocketing the remainder. But Helen was savvy enough to know that she wasn't savvy enough, so she hired an appraiser, and that appraiser was tipped off to the scheme and told her about it. So we'll get more into that when we cover her case. But it's while looking into the Brock case that the ATF agents, that's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, heard that an employee of Silas's had bragged about murdering three boys in 1955. Robert Hansen was then convicted 40 years after their murders. It's believed that the murders occurred on Silas's property, and while he didn't commit those murders, he did help cover them up. So, I mean, these we're talking about a pretty bad guy here. So, Allie, do you have thoughts on Silas or George or the horse stable connection being behind the disappearance?
1: Well, something of an interesting footnote that I did find was that Silas Jane reportedly told a sheriff that he had three bodies buried underneath his house sometime after the women went missing. The authorities took that comment fairly so, pretty seriously, and they planned a search of Silas's property. However, the sheriff involved was killed in a farming accident just before the search took place, and because of that, the search never happened and the lead went cold.
0: Which is completely baffling to me that no one else could- It
1: blows my mind.
0: That's a big, huge, loose end.
1: Because you've got three women going missing that had somewhat loose ties to Silas, and then he says he has three women buried underneath his house, or three bodies buried underneath his house. Why wouldn't you then go ahead? You've got the warrant.
0: Just do it. Just do it.
1: It was just, the sheriff's gone, oh well.
0: Yeah, it really seems like that's a pretty big crack for this case to fall through. And I do think Silas Jane was a very bad man, and he surrounded himself with very bad people. And he may have been involved in whatever happened to the girls, but I don't think it's because they witnessed the bombing, because there were reports of other people at the stable. They gave statements that pointed toward the hitman, but Silas didn't have them killed. And it... I mean, it's a pretty risky way to try to kill them, to lure them to the beach, into the water, onto a boat, to another beach, onto another boat. I think he this is a guy who pays people to plant car bombs. I think he would have not gone about it this way. I think if he was the one who was behind killing them, I think he would have been a little bit more direct about it. But that said... Mm. They He knowingly, he and his brother, both employed criminals who were murderers. And so perhaps the connection is someone from those stables, if not Silas or his brother, maybe one of their associates, a young man that one of the girls had a crush on and they decided to go meet up with at the beach. That, that would definitely make more sense to me, but I, the odds that they were... Surrounding themselves with this criminal element, possibly unknowingly, and it not being connected, that seems odd to me. So,
1: I don't think it's unknowingly, because Patty has said that she knew syndicate people. Right. And, and because Silas was involved, and this is purely speculation on my part, I would think that maybe the girls got involved in some of the criminal activity, maybe got on the boat to help with a deal. Be the pretty girls in bikinis. Maybe they saw something they shouldn't have saw, and then the old in the ocean.
0: Well, yeah, and that in, in the lake. That's a good point. It may have been they may have known something. They may have been getting paid a little bit to do just you know, like you said, come on the boat, be the pretty girls on the boat. You know, they don't have to do anything that seems terribly awful. They're just selling horses at inflated prices. You know, it's pretty easy for them to maybe want to make a little extra money and slip into that. That kind of gray area.
1: Uh, If anything happened to them, that would be the theory that I would be leaning towards. It's what makes sense with the boats.
0: I feel that they went to the beach to meet the boat and whoever was on the boat and I think that whoever was on the boat is connected to the stables. Beyond that, you know, I can see a whole bunch of different paths, but that's really where I fall on this one. Yeah, me too. But we still have a theory. <laughs> you see, we can't decide yet. We have another very interesting theory.
1: This is a game changer. Lately, in recent years, Mount Baldy, which are the sand dunes around the beach where the women went missing, Mount Baldy has become known as some sort of mysterious phenomenon. Now, Mount Baldy is massive, and it's a popular place for hikers and sunbakers. However, as I said earlier, the sand there is constantly shifting, and things have been known to disappear up there. One minute, a tree will be there, and the next, it's not the sand had swallowed it up. In June 2013, six-year-old Nathan Woznar was in the sand dunes with his family when, without warning, he disappeared into a hole that had suddenly opened up. His family turned around when they heard Nathan screaming from underneath the sand. Thankfully, on this day, there were a lot of people about, but by the time his family and help got to him, he had already been engulfed by what ended up being 11 feet of sand. It took rescuers about 11 hours to dig him back out again. And this wasn't the only occurrence of this happening, although generally there are just smaller holes of less than 5 feet, which I guess is still fairly deep. And other hikers report tripping or getting their feet stuck. These holes are generally a metre in diameter, and they close up within a day of opening, so no evidence of the hole ever being there exists after the hole closes up. What's strange though is that geologists are at a loss of why this is happening. Because of the nature of sand being fluid, it should be more like quicksand if anything, not an actual hole, because sand shouldn't be sticking together if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I will say that uh, quicksand was probably my number one fear as a child.
1: <laughs> there have been dozens of scientists and researchers going out to Mount Baldy trying to work out why this is happening. They test the sand, they look at the wind plans, they look at the terrain maps, but no one knows why these holes are happening. So it could it have been one of these holes that swallowed up Anne, Patty, and Renee? Could the sand dunes have swallowed up any evidence left behind by an abductor? Considering the holes are only a metre in diameter, it would have to mean that two or three holes would have had to open up right next to each other at the same time for all three women to have gone missing. And there were, as I said earlier, there were 9,000 people at the beach. Surely someone would have heard these women screaming. The thing is, the search didn't happen until 3 days after the women went missing, which does make it possible that evidence were hidden up in the sand dunes, but I don't think a but I don't think a sinkhole of sorts should be the lead suspect here.
0: Now, if we were talking about one person and possibly a person who was 5 feet or shorter, it I mean it would be a possibility, but like you said, three people all in the same exact spot or at three different spots, they just all happen to open up and swallow them all at the same time. It's interesting, though. That's, I mean, I've. It's interesting. These sand sinkholes are interesting, and it's interesting that they can't figure out what's causing them.
1: It sounds like a horror movie to me that these sinkholes just open up and swallow people whole.
0: Yeah, there's like some, you know, reptilian under beings there or something ruling the planet like I can I can definitely copyright
1: copyright yeah. <laughs> copyright to the story
0: yeah I need to copyright all of these great <laughs> ideas I mean I can definitely come up with a million fictional scenarios for these sand holes or these sand sinkholes but yeah I don't I don't think that's where the women are but I do think the shifting sand dunes would cover up evidence pretty easily yeah. one windy night and you the sand dunes look different
1: even without these sinkholes, yep, yeah, the sand dunes would be perfect to hide a knife or a gun or anything like that. Right. But honestly, I think the girls are most likely out in the lake somewhere.
0: Right, because although, like I said, in the drowning theory, that not any of them would wash up is odd. That would happen if they were weighted down. If it was a homicide and they were weighted down, then they wouldn't come up from the bottom. So, yeah, I honestly think that they had arranged to me a guy or two that they knew, most likely from the stables, for whatever reason. I mean, these are three physically fit women, so I don't think it was one person. But, you know, I yeah, I, I think it's the men on the boat. Solved. Now we just need to, you know, find them and then prosecute and all of that you know this is I it's so baffling that people can just disappear like this with with nothing no trace of them
1: and I feel like we say this every missing persons episode how can someone just disappear like that
0: I have to say and I know this might open up a weird paranormal universe thing but have you noticed how many women go missing in threes (sighs) Have you thought about that?
1: Like the Fort Worth Three? The Fort
0: Worth Three, the Springfield Three. Okay, the Beaumont children Um, had a boy with them, but still three. Still three. Still three. Isn't that kind of odd? And I, I don't know. That just seems odd to me. Maybe people go missing in ones and two. I mean, I'm sure people go missing in ones more. Maybe lots of people go missing in pairs. But it seems to get three people to disappear completely. Seems like such a monumental task. Maybe that's why we're so interested in the stories about them. I don't know, but... Yeah, it just it strikes me.
1: So maybe just, just to be on the safe side at Crime Con, make sure you're in groups of four. Yes.
0: Four you yeah, pair off in twos at or least you go four. to four, never three.
1: No, I say four because you're definitely safe with four. Right.
0: I mean guess with with only one other person they're the murderer, then you're really screwed. But yeah, so oh, I think four man. is good. Four is a good number. Yeah.
1: So the the key is two's okay as long as one's not the killer but four is best four is
0: best see <laughs> these are really important tips that we PSA. are giving our listeners that and stop running with your earbuds in we keep getting messages after our Terra calico episode about how everyone's like oh i'm always got both earbuds in when i'm walking or running and now i can't say that i'm not doing that but i think about it and then i pull one out you know and just be aware of your surroundings and stay in groups of four life lessons we're
1: saving we are saving lives here
0: that's i mean that's what this podcast is all about
1: okay so let's wrap it up and do some housekeeping so you can contact us via email at insightfulpod at gmail.com instagram at insightpod where you can talk to me or charlie is on twitter at insightfulpod we are also on facebook like the page and follow the group It's a closed group, so your friends can't see that you're obsessively into murder and missing people. So send a request and one of us will accept it pretty quickly. On our website, you can listen to all our episodes, check out our show notes and research. On that page, you can also click on the links to our Patreon account for an ongoing monthly donation and our PayPal account for a one-off donation. And most importantly, please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. It helps bring people to the show and keeps us going right through 2017 at least. So until next week, bye everyone. Bye
0: guys.